You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Boromir. Hi everyone, this is Saya. This is Anissa. And this is Boromir. Welcome to our spoiled yak for Extraordinary Woo. Extraordinary Attorney Woo? (laughs) That one. (laughs) (laughs) It's too long. (laughs) We also have a special guest joining us today. Uh, my sister Zainab. Welcome, Zainab. Welcome, Zainab. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. I'm excited that you're here. Me and Zainab have been watching the show together. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we thought we'd have her join us for a little convo about the show. So we did already um, talk about, I think, the fir- I think the first four or six episodes when we did our, you know, initial thoughts on the drama. But now we have finished it and we are ready to come with all the spoilers um, and our rage. I have rage. Do you guys have rage? <laughs> <laughs> not that much. Yeah, actually. not that much. I, I think less than you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like I didn't expect it to go as deep as maybe other people did. I guess. I don't know. I mean, me and Annie talked about this like right after we watched it, but I think we were angry. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we were just tired. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question here. Were you guys angry about, and your options are A, the cases that were being shown, B, Kwan uh, and C, our main pair, like the main couple, like of these three, are any of these the main focus of your anger? Are all of them? D, all of the above. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we were talking about this, but like Zainab, I think, was more angry than I was. But I was like, I definitely think there's something to be angry about. But it was more of at the point of like, by the time we watched the finale episodes, I was kind of not expecting much by that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't same. react mm-hmm. that like as strongly as I did to say like the best hit, for example, which I feel like that ending came out of nowhere. And I was like, so mad. Yeah, like the second half of the show was kind of on a slightly downward trajectory yes. anyway. Like, mm-hmm. the, it peaked in the middle. Yes. And it was, you know, it was that thing where the show runs out of steam halfway and then it sort of falls Bottles. into, you know, like trope ditches, plot holes, and all of those sort of obstacles that drag a drama down. Agreed. And so by the time you got to the end, you weren't even that disappointed. You were like, this is sort of where I expected to end up. And then you can appreciate what was done well and then coolly critique what wasn't. And be like, yeah, it was a good try. And this is what was missing. And this is what was good. So yeah, no strong feelings here at this point. Mm. I think for me, I just really, I loved the beginning so much that I am just very, I'm very disappointed. I'm not necessarily like so angry, but I am very, very disappointed. But then on the other hand, like, I mean, we'll, and we'll talk about this more after, you know, spending many hours on that with that interview with a writer and director like it did change how I saw the show and I think at that time I had seen like maybe 12 episodes of the drama and so I had kind of started to see it go down and then after reading their approach and sort of you know how they were kind of imagining the story I didn't really have a ton of hope after that like even though I liked a lot of the things that they had to say and I like could appreciate their perspective. So I guess we should wait to talk about the interview. But like generally, I just I loved the first half and I just really did not like many of the directions that they took in the second half. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't start watching this until it was about six or seven episodes in at you guys' urging. I was really quite um, 
seduced by Anissa saying it can be what that one show that all of us watch. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> also, I had COVID <laughs> at the time, so I was like in this fevered haze. And I just watched the first, was it like six episodes or something like that, back to back? Um, but uh, what was I going to say about it? But the reason that I kind of pretended I wasn't watching it for a few days, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> when you guys were talking about it very impassionedly, is that, well, firstly, I wasn't sure that I loved it because I was enjoying it for the drama parts, less for the kind of neurodiversity rep stuff. And the other reason I probably didn't love it the way you guys did is that I kind of felt a little bit triggered by it as well because it had, it was difficult. Like if it's a story that sets out to, to present an autistic protagonist, but obviously autism isn't the same in every single person. In fact, it's literally different in every single person. And so there are things you can relate to and then there are things you can't. And then, you know, K-drama has this, and this is like characteristic of all K-drama more or less, is that they have a sort of a hygienicness to them, like a gloss that makes them, mm. it doesn't stop you from being immersed in the story, but it is very clean. And so rather than, how do I explain this? So like, imagine mm. you're watching a, a thriller, like a crime thriller. Imagine like, a British one compared to a Korean one. Just think about how different that feels. Like I was watching. Uh, I don't not watch too long British ago. crime thrillers, Saya. <laughs> Maybe it's time to start. <laughs> I, I got that. About you. <laughs> okay, like there's a show yeah, that I watched. Seen a British. Oh no. Okay, let me recommend to all of you. It's a show called Unforgotten. It's amazing. It's so so good. Um, I'm started watching it. You already recommended. Oh, have you? <laughs> oh, you're secretly pretending you're not watching it. You. <laughs> we all do this. <laughs> Because I've been at them for, I've been at you guys for well at Borama for months to to watch this show. It's so so good, um, but there's like a, a kind of an inbuilt grime. Like you never feel like you're in a set, but you are in the real places. There's a level of sort of dirt that just is really you know deeply embedded in in the thing. And because I'm also watching Heartless City right now, which. I don't think by any stretch you could say is not gritty. It's very dark. It's very stylish. It's very uh, painful and emotional and gritty. Like it's got a little bit of grit, but, but not grime. Stylized grit. No, but I mean, it does feel real. It's not that it doesn't mm. feel real, but there's still a point where you're like, they're not embracing the dirt. They are not mm. getting into the grime. You don't feel like they're in a urine stained bathroom with years of ground in dirt like yeah. it looks it's, it's just too clean everything is too clean and normally I like I don't have a problem with that I, I like things being a little clean but it is like a characteristic generally of k-dramas and I think Korean films don't have this so much but dramas do and so that that's why I feel like in Extraordinary Attorney Woo you kind of see the same thing where you're presented a slightly cleaner cleaned up hygienic version of an autistic person so you sort of take out the really messy difficult um bits and you leave the bits that are a bit easier to digest a little bit more I don't want to say palatable but just a little bit easier to like um I, I don't know if I'm explaining this well but no I oh, let me okay let me also compare it to another show that I've, I'm watching sort of, I've been slowly watching on and off for the last few months, which is a French detective show called Astrid and Raphael, 
which also the main character, two main characters, obviously Astrid and Raphael. Um, Astrid is also autistic and she presents in a very similar way to uh, Yongu in that sort of savant style, excellent recall, being like a walking database slash computer. But her presentation is a lot less sort of upbeat. Like there are joyful moments in it, but there's also these very sort of low lows. Mm. Um, so you sort of get a fuller experience of how she moves in the world versus how Yongu moves in the world. And I have a slight uh, dissatisfaction with autistic characters like this always being that one kind, the exceptional kind. The one where you're like, well, they have, you know, value in a capitalist society because they can contribute to the machine, right? Yeah. And it's it's also a form of ableism to mm-hmm. only value characters who are disabled or like neurodivergent or somehow like outside of what's considered normal, only if they bring something valuable because of that or what like what society considers valuable. So if it's mm-hmm. a, you know, if this person is an autistic genius, then you know, it's okay. We can, ha- you know, like put up with yeah. whatever is different about them. But and if we can not, make provisions right. because of their value. Yeah. If not, then you're not inherently valued as a person, mm-hmm. regardless of what you can contribute to society. It's just, yeah. you know, like you can get a pass because you're exceptional in some way. Right. And as Sayap said um, pretty early on while we were watching this drama, Wingu is touted as the first autistic attorney in South Korea, but Chances are she's not. She's more, almost most definitely not the first autistic attorney. She's just the most recognized. Which I think is borne out by actually the final, I think the penultimate episode. It's interesting because I do appreciate that each episode sort of set out to give you a, a different story of a marginalized person or group of people. Um, and what I enjoyed about episode 15 was that I felt like it was giving a nod to the fact that not everyone has recognized autism or an, or an autism diagnosis, but that doesn't mean that they are either not autistic or displaying autistic traits. Like the judge in the penultimate oh, episode's case, so I was like, yeah, I mean, that he's clearly, he is. He's obviously lived his life not having that recognized because he was at a sort of a, a functional level where he... Um, was able to pass without it necessarily disabling him too much from participating in society, in mainstream society. Mm. And because he had a job where he could express it without too many consequences. Right. And he was a man. And And he was a man. (laughs) Yeah. And then they introduced her brother as well, which, again, clearly autistic. And (laughs) why are you laughing, (laughs) Zainab? No, I just like the brother, the whole... We were talking about this, but the fact that there's like two, like maybe he's autistic. They didn't explicitly say, but like two autistic savants in one family. That was just like a bit of a, a I reach. didn't actually think I, the brother was autistic. I just thought he had very specific preferences and that doesn't necessarily yeah. spell autism. That's a very specific diagnosis. Oh, so that's... This, this is what I was going to say about okay. the judge. That... um. Some people's special interests can express in a socially acceptable avenue. And Mm. that makes a big difference. So let's say for the judge, it was, you know, law. And for Yongu, it's law as well. And for her brother, it was computers. 
But like not everyone has a special interest that is that sort of useful in capitalist society, right? So yeah, I mean, yes, the unlikeliness, everything about the drama, I mean, not everything, a lot of things about the drama were unlikely, but sometimes I feel the intent in certain areas was like, you know what, I, I like that you've made this attempt to do this, even if the execution wasn't perfect. It sometimes occurred to me that extraordinary attorney Wu, with complete earnestness, was just trying to be like an autism fairy tale where mm. things just work out. Like there are villains, there are bad wolves. The heroine gets left in the middle of the forest by wicked uncles <laughs> and all of that stuff happens. But in the end, things work out and you are left hopeful that the person, the beleaguered person you're rooting for gets mm. justice. So it's like a fairy tale. I do think it's very wishful. Yeah, it, it is but, wishful, yeah. but maybe it needs to be considering. I, I, the, I think it needed to be because that yeah. whole thing about an optimistic, sympathetic umbrella is necessary to present a story to a wider audience. You would always, and there have been many stories um, before this, not very frequently, but just there have been quite a few that depicted autistic people or Autists, I, I think there is a preference there. Uh, Everyone okay. has a it's, different yeah. preference. Yeah, instead of getting stuck on that. <laughs> um, but most of them were very niche. And aside from maybe uh, something like The Good Doctor, most of them didn't really get watched by the entire nation, for instance. <laughs> In case of uh, Extraordinary Attorney Wu, it, it's gotten like really high ranking. I think the seventh highest or eighth highest. Um a, on cable and it was it's really widely loved they released it in a very small uh channel ena nobody really expected it to get any kind of uh viewership and they were of course focusing domestically yes netflix was going to get it but their focus is always domestic first and they were expecting very low viewership and that's how they produced the show wrote the show they they were not expecting this Neither the scrutiny nor the attention and the love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to do justice um, or to give due to the creators, despite not having expected attention at this scale, they actually worked really hard to, they worked really sincerely towards creating the story. However, all of the stuff that we have said till now comes down to a, a, a very pertinent point, which I think uh, a, a you were trying to say earlier, which is that this is geared towards holistic audience, right? Like neurotypical audience to accept autism. And that becomes very clear, especially in the last episode when our heroine has the scene with her mother where almost uh, like answering a completely different question, like there is this exchange, her mother's like, but aren't you unhappy at Hanbada given how things are going right now? And she does this feel about my life might be peculiar, but it's worthy and valuable. And but that was that is just that mm. I it sounded so first of all, it sounded nothing like this character. Do you guys know what I don't know yeah. why that bugged me yeah. so much? Oh, this is like an issue I have with every workplace drama. And I feel like it also makes an appearance in this drama. Like, my sister's probably tired of me talking about this. No, no, this. no. It's a good point. I agree with you. Um, but, like, for workplace dramas, the number one important thing in your life is your job. Like, even if you kill yourself, you have to yeah. be doing your job. Like, 
if you're successful in your job, it doesn't matter about anything else, sleep, eating, food, your family, your mental health. Yeah, everything comes second. Mm. And like, it doesn't matter if you're doing the most menial job. Like, if you're like working for a giant company to just like generate the more wealth, it doesn't matter. Like, it's like once you join your job, that's it. Like, you have to go all the way. Um, and this is why, like, I had to stop watching today's webtoon as well, because, like, that's it's very romanticized. Um, mm. And so, like, with Wu as well, her entire, like, journey seems to be tied to her job, not only, like, as a lawyer, but as a Hambada lawyer, which Hambada has not been good to her at all. The CEO only hired her because of who her mother was. The only good thing about it is like her mentor and then her like nice one night, like her two nice co-workers, everyone else at this law firm, like the entire purpose of this law firm is not a positive one. Like they're working for wealthy clients. Yeah. They don't seem to have like any sort of moral. Um, mm. What is the word? Like Go. they're not exactly like the yeah. most moral company. Um, the other lawyers are also don't seem to be very good. Like. But then somehow, like in the last episode, attorney Jung Myung Suk, his like Young Suki, yeah, <laughs> his um, ex wife asks her like, "Do you like working there?" And she says yes. It but it has nothing to do with the company. So that like is I just know. yeah. Again, that ties yeah. into the whole issue I have with workplace dramas, and which is why I generally don't enjoy them that much. But it's not about like her entire life shouldn't be connected to working at this one big law firm. Do you think that's kind of a reflection of sort of South Korean societal values there? Because oh, yeah. your life, like your, the company is your life. The company is your mother and your father and your husband and your wife and your that children. And also just like working is, there's a moral value to working really hard and like giving your all. That is mm. very, like it's a I mean, I think it's in culture, right? Yeah. And I think mm. it's true in American culture too. Yeah. It's in true in a lot of cultures. Society. Yeah. Yeah. It's not specific just to Sorry, South when I said it's a workaholic culture, I didn't mean career. I meant the um, capitalism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like that, or that large corporation culture, right? Right. I'm glad, uh, Zainab, that you brought up Hanbada, though, because this is one of the things that was puzzling me all the way through the show, because clearly the show is trying to say one thing about autism, about social values, about Jung's experience, like moving in a neurotypical world in this high-flying, top-level 1% space. But at the same time, it seems to be holding back from critiquing anything else like the way that Hanbada practices law, as you say, they represent corporations and the the Chebol Defense League, kind of. Um, I love so. that. <laughs> the thing is, like, like they, they didn't even stay consistent to that. I feel like if they had maybe stayed consistent mm-hmm. to that, it would have generated a more cohesive story. But it's, they represented all kinds of like random people in the middle. And I was just confused about the direction yeah, of the they drama. Yeah, picked up off the street. Right. Like just randos that are not going to benefit. Even if you're looking at it from like, a, is this a like an important client that's going to pay us a lot of money? Like a lot of those cases didn't even fall into yeah. that. Like, Although that said, large law firms do do a lot of, like they do have a specific pro bono department. So And rookies usually get assigned to pro bono cases a lot. So this wasn't actually inaccurate mm. in, in so far as the kind of yeah. caseload 
she would encounter if she was a real rookie lawyer. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually have a problem with the mix of cases. And for I think aside from like two specific cases, I was actually okay with the storytelling of most of them. Mm-hmm. Major issues that I had with the second half was the lag in Uyungu's personal development. Um, suddenly the focus shifted to the rest of the team a little bit to how her relationship is developing with Juno. Juno does not get developed at all. We were mm-hmm. all expecting mm-hmm. Juno's character to get some background. He just becomes completely flat the moment the case. I don't know what goes wrong, but wow, the boy becomes flat. <laughs> but but that, that's exactly it. I, I just don't, like the focus suddenly goes away from Uyongu, the person, and becomes the Uyongu, the spectator watching other people's right. stories. And that disconnected me completely. And that was what was so good about the first, especially like first six to eight episodes, is that it was about her. It was about how she was feeling. And you were kind of seeing the world from her eyes. And I Mm -hmm. think where this drama fell down, and it goes back to the intentions of the director and writer, I think, in in my opinion, because it's seeing, A, it's like they're writing a story about about an autistic person, but like there's no, from as far as I can tell, there's no one who's actually autistic on the writing team or any of the, you know, the producers or anyone. So it's very carefully put together. And that comes across as nuance when it's just research. And there's mm-hmm. limitations to how far research can take you. And also because I think they were, in the end, like, especially if you look at the interview and look at like how they were sort of approaching Uyong as a character, I feel like what ended up happening is they were just seeing her as a, like a collection of, you know, traits Traits. that they had put together in a list of like what an autistic person might be like and even those were like carefully selected and Mm. so they saw her as a collection of traits and not like a person with a personality who would behave and not behave a certain way which is like how she came across in the beginning and then because they weren't seeing her as a full person then it was easy for them to like make her do things in the second half which were like completely nonsensical to the person that we had learned her to be just to like advance the plot yeah, completely out of character mm-hmm. like in what world would the Uyangu that we met in episodes one through eight break up with Junho and not tell him why like, that's yeah. not who she is. And it's not because she's autistic. It's because she's Wu Yang Like, I, I don't mm. think that they saw her as a person. And so it was just, like, convenient for them, for their plot to do this or that. And then they just made her mm. act strange and, like, out of character. To just connect to what Anissa's saying, the part about how research-based Wu Yang character was. So all that we've read about um, how Park Yun-bin prepared to play this role. She put in a lot of hard work. Everybody acknowledges that. But she said over and over again that she did not meet autistic people. She went and spoke to psychiatrists. She went, to, went and spoke to a professor studying autism. Mm-hmm. And she read a lot of books. So in the end, from what I extrapolated from that was that oh, the re- character she was given in the script was a collection of different traits used to diagnose autistic people. And in her head, she played a sort of like a collection of traits, which is fine. Like as an actor, that is how you use what you use as a guide. But what happens is when you're modeling a character, not on a person, a real person that the writer director knows, and you're modeling a character on research, like Anissa said, 
it's easy to forget the core tenets of who that person is because it's a very vague, nebulous form. The character doesn't have a solid core. It's just a bunch of trees sort of held together, which is kind of why I think the second half fell apart as far as that character goes. Like Anissa said, the Uyungu we know, the, the straightforward Uyungu who clearly communicates because she understands that communication is so important, would have told you know when she was breaking up with him, why she was breaking up with him. But also, and I'm sorry, I know it's a it's a minor thing maybe, but it bugged me so much more. That Uyungu, like, she would not have over and over and over and over told Myung Suki that yeah. this is how you're going to die. This is your percentage of, you know, survival rate. Uh, like, listen, also, I agree. even if she did the first time, somebody in the first half of the drama, especially Sunshine, would have taken her aside and said, listen, don't do that. I understand what you're doing. I, we are all understand, but this is hurting him. This is really serious. Don't do that. And she would have stopped. Yeah. It made no sense. And there was like this quirky background music. Like it was funny. Like, wh- what is that? It's not comedic moment. I-, I don't know. Like that thing that I said about like early on where like that the drama is doing a good job in like, you know, being humorous, but that she's not the butt of the joke. But then I felt like in those situations, she became the butt of the joke. Yeah. And I was... Yeah. That made me so mad. You're, you're right. In the second half, Uyungo was the punchline way too often. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest release from Yamil Syed Mendez, Twice a Quinceanera. Instead of losing the deposit on her wedding venue, a jilted bride decides to throw herself Quinceanera times two for her 30th birthday. One month short of her wedding day and her 30th birthday, Nadia finds herself standing up to her infuriating, cheating fiancé for the first time in, well, forever. But that same courage doesn't translate to breaking the news to her Argentinian family. She's hyperventilating before facing them when she glimpses a magazine piece about a Latina woman celebrating herself with a second quinceanera, aka Sweet 15. And that gives Nadia a brilliant idea. As the first professional in her family, raising a glass to her own achievements is the best plan she's had in years. Until she discovers that the man in charge of the venue is none other than her college fling that became far more than a fling. And he looks even more delicious than a three-tiered cake. We recommend this delightful romance for fans of movies like Never Been Kissed, 13 Going on 30 and The Wedding Singer. I watched this very interesting interview which I will find the link for to put in the description for our listeners, that Pagan Bin did about how she prepared for the character, which is probably, I think, what you're also referring to, Parma. Um, and yeah, the fact that she specifically said, like she made a point not to go out and meet autistic people because she didn't want to base her character on any one person. And I feel that, like, I understand her intent and it's very, like, she was trying to be conscientious about it but in the end I think that choice I mean from the beginning that choice backfired because perhaps what she had in mind is like if I meet one person then I would sort of only show their autism but right, what she or be should doing have done like an impression of that right person. exactly and that is of course disrespectful but what she could have done and what would have served her character better is if she had gone out and met as many autistic people as possible yeah because that would have allowed her to really understand the spectrum of how people's autism plays out like visibly and if she had spoken to them about what they sort of do to manage their autism like internally those things would have really enriched 
the kind of character that she had that she would have been able to show us like one of the things I was saying to you guys um, earlier in the show was that I really would appreciate if the show showed her having a meltdown because if there's one sort of um, feature that really defines and kind of destroys you um, when it comes to autism like regardless of your functional level it's the meltdown and I felt there was like one episode where they tried to get close to it because of her um, sensory processing issues, like loud noises, the truck of doom, all of that. They they still didn't go all in on giving her a meltdown. And the meltdowns are, they're like probably one of the hardest things to deal with when you're a generally high functioning autist, because you can't stop them. You know they're happening. You know how it looks. You can go into shutdown, you can go into meltdown. There's all sorts of things that you do and you can't necessarily come back from them, even though the rest of the time you can pretend your way through everything. Mm. Um, And it was, I mean, I was telling myself, well, you know, this isn't trying to be a dark show. This isn't trying to show the downsides of autism. It's trying to show the, the brighter sides, the upsides. And the pain that they show isn't going to be that sort of really painful pain, right? Um... So that was one of the things that I wish they had sort of gone all in on. But then it might have changed the tone of the show and maybe they didn't want to do that. And the other thing that I sort of to go back to like three or four points ago um, when we were talking about Hanbada is that at a point I was appreciating that they were showing like a separation between law and morality and Young's conflict when it came to that. But again, it was one of those conflicts that didn't sort of come to fruition Because, as you were saying, her character was one that didn't enjoy injustice. Um, Yeah, so like it it presented the beginnings of all of these interesting conflicts, but then it didn't kind of follow through on them. Yeah. But then I do wonder if that is the limitations of the writers. Like they didn't know how to take them to a rightful conclusion. And this is also true with like uh, Kwon Minu's character. And actually, when I was rereading the interview this morning, I, I found that they did understand the kind of character that he was, you know, that reverse racism guy, the the guy who is like, yeah, affirmative action is puts everyone else at a disadvantage. He's that guy. They knew that that was a character that they made, but they didn't resolve him in a way that was appropriate to the problem they created. And, you know, Boromir wrote an excellent post on her Tumblr about why the quote unquote redemption of um, Kwon Minu was not, the redemption anybody wanted or asked for or needed. It was a redemption of the wrong sin. He didn't actually change in the way we all needed him to change. Or even, he didn't even know what he had done wrong. He didn't know that it was his prejudice and not some arbitrary fear of authority that needed to be changed. And also... Kwon Minu is not fear. He's not afraid of challenging authority. He walked into Taesan and blackmailed Taesan. This he's an opportunist. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's what? What is? What are you even redeeming him from? Stand up for your colleagues. Be foolishly brave. <laughs> that, that was, was not your problem. Uh, oh, I up go. <laughs> I can see it from your face. Yeah. You have a lot of things to say. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said in your Tumblr post. Um, Even if they wanted to redeem him, that wasn't the way to go. And sometimes you can just leave someone. You can just let them be like awful and just 
because I feel I guess like again this drama is going for that more like earnest vibes but I think like the way not that I like this character or like I think that the way the drama ended was good but like the CEO kind of remained as this kind of like morally Mm. gray yeah I mean she's pretty awful but like they just kind of left her like that and I feel like they could have done that for Kwon Minu as well just because there are like I know a lot of people are saying this but like you have that one person in your life like that or those people in your life like that and most of the time they don't change they're like that and they're gonna stay like that and also you can't change somebody like it would if it was that easy, like Soyeon saying like two things to him, um, change because I like yeah, men like that. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, it, would, it should have come from within him. Like I think if they had had a few episodes where his actions had real consequences for yeah. him, that could have made and that they were deeply that, unethical. Yeah, and that he, he never got discovered for those things and punished. Right. Nobody like, ever found out. Yeah. Like. No one at the law firm found out. Juno, his best friend and roommate, never found out all the shady mm-hmm. shit he was doing. Excuse me, but like he did so many terrible things. And at the end, he was just like, oh, actually, like this girl likes me. So I'm just like into not. <laughs> and also like why sacrifice our spring sunshine, Chesuyun, who I love no, so much to this no, bottom was... feeding, <laughs> yeah. ugh, scummy piece of garbage. OK, go on. By the end, I was even disappointed in Seon because... So she, right, remember how we started off not really liking her, but then she proved to us that she was amazing? Yeah. So by then you're like totally in love with this woman. And you're like, she understands. She's the one who stood in the middle of Hanbada yelling at Minu that the whole systemic problem of why Yongu is actually not uh, getting more privilege than he is. Like, she got it. But then as the drama goes on, it's like she she unlearns this. And so that problem of systemic disadvantage is never revisited. It's like she slowly starts to drink the Kool-Aid. And she, yeah, I, by the end, like, she wasn't the same Suyan that we had in, like, episode 9 or 10, 8 or, or 7 or 8, or whenever she had those, like, mm. big confrontations with Minu. And it was really, it was really disappointing. You know, yeah. like, all this stuff that we've been talking about, I feel like it's really emblematic of this whole um I don't quite know how to explain it in this context but if it was if this was an American show I would describe it as like uh liberal white moralism and this Mm. kind of individualistic approach to social justice which is like you kind of know that the system is the problem but you've decided that the only way that you can really make a change is through individual actions and that all the onus of like having a happy life is on you as a marginalized person. Um, and you're kind of at the whim of like other people's choices and it's not about the system. And so like, I feel like the whole drama just kind of, like you said earlier, Saya, like in the beginning, it seemed like it was bringing up so many interesting things with like, you know, the workplace discrimination that she faces in so many different kinds of ways. And I thought that was making a broader point about, you know, like ableism and, you know, like why a big law firm like this is never going to really be a good place mm. for someone who A, has the challenges that Young Woo has and and B, like for someone who cares about justice and truth and yeah. like fairness as much as she does. Like she's and, not a corporate lawyer. She should but be just, going and doing, uh, you know, something that aligns with her mm. morality. Yeah. Like human yeah. rights or something. And like it never really follows through on that idea it just mm. becomes an idea of like you know like young suck just he ends, ends up telling her like well i decided that i was going to be like it's about like what kind of lawyer you want to be it like always puts the 
responsibility back on this individual choice Mm -hmm. that you make. And it really lets the system off the hook. And I think it does go back to the fact that the people who made this drama and who are acting in this drama and who produce this drama are not coming from a true understanding of what it's like to be at the brunt of a system like this. Mm -hmm. Because they are, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, of course, you never know for sure, but like, I'm assuming that they're neurotypical. Like you said, like they didn't actually interact with any autistic people. So how can they how can they really go there? And yeah. and also it's I think it's also like a political viewpoint as well, right? Of like, you know, Kwan Minu can be seen as somebody who's just slightly misguided and a quote unquote acute villain if, you know, <laughs> you haven't experienced someone doing that to you in mm-hmm. your life. Because as yeah. if you have had someone doing that to you in your life, you you're not gonna see him as cute. You're gonna see yeah. him as like insidious evil. <laughs> <laughs> that you've been feeling your whole life yes. personified into a someone who is yeah. like you have to daily interact with. So, you know, there's one character I'd like to compare Kwon Minu to, which is like, you know, in today's webtoon, I know, Zainab, you said you dropped it. But we if watched you go- four episodes. Oh, OK. Maybe us, that's yeah. long enough. I don't remember when this turn came. But yeah, it would have definitely in the first four episodes. Um, you know, Nam Yun-soo, um, who plays uh, Gu Jun-young, I feel like at the beginning they're presented in they're not the same but they are presented in similar sort of from an antagonistic mm-hmm. uh, view and yet you have Gu Jun-young in today's webtoon actually taking a very interesting developmental turn where because of his interaction with on mom uh, Kim Sejong's character and because of the conversations that they have they're able to really <sighs> sort of exchange perspectives and Jun Young becomes this person who can put his ego aside and who is then able to look at the world from the sort of the perspective of the underdog. And he becomes this person you really, really root for. You like him so much. And he stops being the villain like within three episodes. And it's just really interesting in... I mean, not that he was necessarily the villain in the first place, but he was definitely presented as potential. this. Right, exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. But I think with him, it was more like mm. you, you kind of, your spidey senses were tingling in episode one of like, oh, is he going to be that kind of character? But then you mm. find out that he's actually not. Because his issue with um, the heroine on Maom getting hired were not unfair I, I felt for him. Yeah, like, he, yeah. here he is, you know, like, he did <laughs> all the right him. things. He's such a... Oh, I know, I would just... watch the drama just for him. I'm like, yeah. my child... He's so good, I love him. Support you. Okay. Yeah, like, he's so earnest, yeah. so hardworking. Like, he, he did, like, work hard and try his best. And he is going through something of, of a rough time because he's he feels like all of a sudden he's been put in, like, the garbage Wasting. department. Mm-hmm. Right, and then all of a sudden there's this woman who, like clearly doesn't know I mean he was in the interview with her so he knows like maybe she knows the product but like she doesn't have any you know training in this for like what you know he feels the job requires and it's true that there's a lot of stuff that she doesn't know and she did get hired for a pretty ridiculous reason because the team leader just likes the fact that she's an (laughs) athlete and she like threw him onto the ground I mean it's ridiculous it's not actually that ridiculous People get hired for the stupidest reasons sometimes. I'm, and I'm, not oh, saying yeah. It's, yeah. I'm not saying it's unrealistic, but it is from, you know, Jun Young's perspective. I can see why he would be upset about I it. I don't think he objected to that, though. Finish your thought. I'll, I'll, I'll come to that. No, what I'm saying is, like, 
he wasn't wrong or like I don't think he needed to be redeemed in the way that you know Kwan Manu. No, so no, I, he had I do nothing wrong to be. Yeah. He was he was dissatisfied, right? Like that's what I cried. They, they sort yeah. of start from that same position of being very high achievers, right? Who'd worked really hard to get into this you know top tier company, and like here are two different trajectories from the same starting point. Mm. And if they had taken that kind of tack with Minu, I would have. I mean. It's a different story. Mm-hmm. But if they were yeah, going to know. develop him, they could have developed him that way. Who had like the perfect, who, who's the perfect parallel but got the right redemption? Mm-hmm. Can you can you guys guess? In which show? I have like, I have someone I'm thinking. Stranger! But... So Dong Jae. Weasel, oh. the original Weasel. Think of how much we hated him. And how good his redemption was at the end of season one. You believed it. Because he kept going lower and lower and lower until like his own conscience was like, I don't think I can go any lower. He started pulling himself up. It, we, we loved Weasel for the reason. Like nobody liked him for like 90% of the show. But then the show ended and the show actually did a good job of redeeming him. To the point where people liked Weasel so much that when Stranger 2 was announced, people were like, we hope he's in it. Because you wanted Weasel to come back, but this time on Shimok's side. Like, that's what they should have done with Kwon Minu. <laughs> what a waste. Oh. I don't know if they have the same starting points, though, but I get yeah, what you mean I'm, about the redemption. Like, how to redeem a character. I do agree that the redemption was really well done, but I think I think the issue with Kwon Minu is also, like, what he's being redeemed for. But or, like, exactly what his issue was. Kwan, like, the writers... They couldn't decide what his issue was. If it was going to be a workplace issue, then it, the, his trajectory should have been like Ejun Hyuk's character in Stranger, which was the original Weasel. But that was a workplace issue where he was competitive and, and jealous and insecure and constantly trying to sabotage his colleagues. If he was that also was corrupt. Going, sure. Right. Yeah. And, and I slimy. don't think Kwon Minu would have had too much problem being corrupt either. But <laughs> the, the thing is, that is, they didn't stick to that. They were like, well, this is one issue, maybe. But then his other issue, the thing that hit us more, was his latent prejudice that never really gets addressed or called out in any real way. But they decide not to address that either. I have to say, that is the most disappointing thing about his arc, is that nobody at any point in the show actually pointed out, you are being ableist. You are being that guy. The reverse racism guy. <laughs> yeah, nobody does. Then have you had something to say? No, I was just going to say, like, I think like with all these other characters, there's like things that it's easier to be redeemed for. Um, and I think like prejudice, ableism, racism, those type of things are some of the most difficult to redeem people for. Just because that is like, like the very basis of that is like you think other humans are like subhuman. Um, yeah, and I don't know, like, how do you even? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. kind of it. it Required yeah. that's actually what I was gonna say, and then mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not even gonna bother. But I, I'm, I'm glad you <laughs> yeah. said it, Dana, because I think, yeah, like with corruption, um, usually like the root cause, or like you might start off being like, I need to improve the situation for my family. Um, with like even murdering people, like I feel like there can be some kind of like, oh, like. Justification. Justification. They have a reason. Yeah. But with racism or like ableism, prejudice, these type of things, like it's so like it's 
I don't even know how it's to, such a deep yeah, moral failing in that character yeah. that you really have to do a lot of work mm-hmm. to redeem something like that. And you, and the character needs to go on a long journey and you have to, you know, see a, like a an actual transformation and like, A, this drama didn't even attempt to do that. But even if they had like they didn't have enough time or space because mm-hmm. he's like just a side character with not, you know, I mean, he did yeah. take up way too much oxygen in the second half, mm-hmm. but still. Yeah, I agree. I will say like that one scene where they went, was this in episode 15 when they tried to offer money to the judge or like the uh, CEO, he like pulls out that packet of money. And for a second, Kwan Minu is just like a little taken aback. I think if they had like kind of run further with that and he realized like, if I continue on this like path of blackmail, like this could be me. Or like if he had kind of seen himself, I think like they introduced that other lawyer to make him seem less bad. But I think mm. maybe if he had realized, like, this is who I could turn into one day, and I don't really like this person. Um, if they had kind of, like, gone with that storyline, I think, mm. like, they introduced it way too late for him to have any character development in that way. But I think yeah. if they had kind of done that maybe earlier, like, maybe before he'd become super evil, and they'd kind of, I, like... I agree. That, that would yeah. have been a very interesting track. It mm. would have solved two problems. The first is, as you said, he would have seen a version of himself in the future in this guy because he follows the kind of principles Kwon Minu thinks the world should follow. But also he was so dissatisfied with Myung-Soki as his, you know, mentor. To have Mm -hmm. this guy as his mentor should have been like, and they should have done that. At some point he should have, somebody should have taken him aside, being like, what's your problem? You're creating issues right now for your colleagues and stuff. Clearly there's an issue. And he would have been like, I'm not happy in this team. He should have been moved to a different work under a different lawyer. This one, the attorney Jang, right? And... (laughs) then he would have been initially really happy because this guy is all about the bribes and the cocktail bars and and like smoothing. (laughs) And then he would have slowly started realizing that he had a much better deal with Mimusoki. I don't know why, by the way, we saw very little of Hanbada outside this tiny group. Neither was Uyungu allowed to interact with anybody outside like the three people she knew, nor were any of the other lawyers really interacting with the larger firm because they were like the litigation group right so yes but also you know there are there are situations where you co-work with different groups because there are different types of interests that come in the same case something that might have a criminal and a civil component so it's not always a cut and dried one group takes care of everything for instance the the buddhist temple um situation that they handed the case over to something that was yeah gone I mean, that would sort of change the scope of the show and, you know. I don't think it would have. I think what they should have done is instead of depending largely on like done and like dying tropes in the second half, they should have, the first half was Uyungu trying to find her footing in within the her own team and like finding confidence in herself to become a lawyer that and also to start a relationship. The second half should have been her meeting other people and, and finding out other variations of cases, like different types of moral quandaries. I feel oh, like they ran but, out of moral quandaries in the first half. But, you know, was it at the end of episode 14? It was like, I think maybe the penultimate week's episode, you know, with the workplace discrimination dismissal mm. things. Mm-mm. The lawyer who was in that 
case. Oh man, yeah. I just wanted her to consider going to her. Yes. That really disappointed That's me. That's the thing. Yeah. Why stay at Hanbada? You have options. Understand. You yeah. had someone who gave you a job offer. You could go there yeah. and do the work that you care about. She doesn't have to worry about housing. She lives with her dad. It's mm-hmm. not like taking a pay cut would be... And and Youngwoo seems like the type of person who like doesn't need to make a ton of right. money. Just needs to do something that's fulfilling. Yeah. Like the only reason she's working at Hambada is because she applied at literally every law firm and they were the only ones who hired her. So mm-hmm. now you can go. It's not like you'll have to break up with Juno. He's still in your life. It's not like you have to stop being friends with Suyun. She'll still be in your life. Mm-hmm. Myungsuk is probably leaving anyway. Or he could leave and yes. start his own law firm <laughs> and they can all follow him and yes. they could do the kind of cases that they wanted to do. Like... That's the thing that bothers me with this show. There were so much potential and so many possibilities to do things in a better way. And they're just like, mm-hmm. now nah, we're just going to waste our time on like mukjang tropes <laughs> and, and, and weird twists and trucks of doom. And I don't know. <laughs> that said, yeah. however, they could have actually told that story, but in a way that related to Yongu and possibly as an expression of her autism, because... Change is really hard for some people. Like, um, not, I don't know about like sort of autists in general, but change is hard for her specifically, that whole adjusting when she walks into a room thing. So, it, if they had made that part of the story, like the reason why she is staying at Hanbada, like regardless of everything else, is because the stability is important to her, the security of knowing where you're going every day, and the, um, the mental output that it takes to make a change as big as moving to a different company to work, that is a big deal. Like, you know, I don't do good things that I need yeah. in my life because I can't deal with the change. <laughs> like, good change is hard. Bad change obviously is like traumatizing, but even good change is so, so difficult. Yeah. And it can be in the small things. And for example, I think uh, Yongu's character was meant to have a lot of rigidity, like the kimbap. You know, she needed that predictability of her routine and all of those things. So they could have made that part of her character. And then that would have incorporated the whole thing in a, oh, I get why they didn't do that way. But instead it just became this, why didn't she do that? And friends, this is where we pause today because this episode turned out to be another one of our mammoth ones. The second half of this Poldiac will be released next week. And we hope you join us to talk some more extraordinary attorney woe.